Welcome to the Boutique Hotel News podcast. Here we share the latest news, comment and opinion from across the boutique, luxury and lifestyle sectors, along with thought-provoking interviews with industry leaders. My name's Eloise Hansen, news editor at BHN and host of this week's episode. This time I speak with Salima Villani, founder of KBox Global, about the different models of ghost kitchen operators, evaluating risk and the return on investment, and food and beverage trends. I think it would be worthwhile to begin our conversation today by fleshing out what exactly is a dark kitchen and can you explain to us how they operate? Yeah, sure. So just to be clear, we're not a dark kitchen operator, um, but I can. I, what I will do is explain to you the differences and it is a bit confusing because there's so many names for them. So a dark kitchen effectively is a kitchen that's built for delivery only. So there's no front of house. Um, it's changing a little bit because now there's so many of them, there's kitchens, uh, dark kitchens that are actually um, have pickup windows. Um, a ghost and a cloud, so you can use the name interchangeably with a, a ghost kitchen and a dark kitchen. Um, and, then, and then you have various forms of dark kitchens, right? So you've got, um, and cloud kitchens is another, another name um, that's being loosely used as well. Uh, so there's different models. So you have, on the one hand, you'll have a company that's a real estate company that's renting out kitchens, right? So these are, these are kitchens within kitchens that you can come in and you can rent out for the purpose of delivery. So that's one form, right? And then you'll have a dark kitchen player that actually says, well, I'm going to rent a kitchen or own the kitchen, whatever it is, and I'm going to launch other people's brands from that kitchen. So they'll go out and they'll come to me as Absurd Bird, for example, as my restaurant and say, can I license Absurd Bird for my dark kitchen, right? So they'll, they'll license a bunch of brands, right? And they'll pay the restaurant owner um, a license fee. And then there are others that will say, well, we're going to launch our dark kitchen, but we're going to create our own brands to put within that kitchen, right? Um, so they'll create what is now known as virtual brands and they'll launch them out of their kitchens. Uh, so you've got the, on the one end, the kind of the pure real estate play, which is I'm taking rent from this. And then there's others that are actually launching their own businesses within businesses. Um, so it runs the gambit and then you'll have it, you know, you'll have Deliveroo, which is kind of a pioneer in the dark kitchen space that launched as um, Rubox and now it's called Additions. And so they're a delivery platform that have kind of vertically integrated down into um, uh, the kitchen space. You've got various businesses in the food delivery space that are kind of trying to understand how they can play in that. So that's really what a dark kitchen is. It's not anything sinister. It's just a <laughs> kitchen, really. <laughs> <laughs> and so why don't we then start to look a bit more deeper then at KBox and how, and how you operate, but also what kind of food concepts do you have in your portfolio? So just to, just to be clear, I didn't think um, one day, I think dark kitchens are really cool, we should launch them, right? So <laughs> we come from a very, very different world, which is um, we're restauranteurs that struggled because of, and I'm very open and transparent about this. We were struggling. We had a great brand called Absurd Bird. We started struggling because of oversaturation in the casual dining market, right? And so we had to figure out, so there were, significant margin pressure on our business that came from the macroeconomic nature of what was happening in the food industry 
Um, and this was several years ago, so well before pandemic and well before this all became a massive trend. And on the other side, we were faced with um, delivery platforms coming along and actually, I wouldn't say taking away business, but in, on, on, on the, I guess on the face of it, that you could say it was cannibalizing, but giving us an additional revenue stream, but that additional revenue stream was coming from somewhere else. So, so that added to the margin pressure that we were facing. And so, and you know, my background is corporate finance strategy venture. And so I was very aware because I like to connect the dots and look at the industry, you know, industry that we're working on, not just our own business, but also adjacent industries. And what I was seeing was billions of dollars being invested in food delivery platforms by venture capital, this new proliferation of new models like dark kitchens. And back then they weren't called dark kitchens where I was invited to join you know, boards of companies. And so I was looking at, well, actually it's not just delivery platforms that are getting money from venture, but these other new models. And so delivery is here to stay. And what we don't want to see is what happened to the hotel industry. Right. Or what is happening in beauty and fashion where retail is now, you know, competing with online digital fashion brands. Right. So mm -hmm. we had to, to survive, figure out how we can make delivery work for us. And so KBOX was born as a result of really pivoting our model to say, how can we use our existing kitchen and our existing four walls to not only service our own customers, but customers outside. So our model is really what we call the host kitchen model. Right. Which is. How do we, we don't think as restaurateurs and as food service operators, we need more kitchens out there. What we believe in is we need to use the kitchens that we already have that are significantly underutilized and inefficient and give them more of an opportunity to optimize their sales. And one way of doing that is optimizing for delivery. So it's a very different take on the, uh, the space. Mm -hmm. So am I correct that it is just one, um, the, the food brand that you mentioned earlier, is it just the one food offering that it is you provide or is no, there, no, no. So multiple? There are multiple. So what we, so Absurd Bird was our restaurant brand, which we um, pivoted and converted. It still exists as a restaurant brand. We still have restaurants. But what we did was using our existing ingredients within that location, started launching other brands right and what are now called virtual brands mm -hmm. and so we have a number of brands that we have built and continually build we actually have a staple of about 25 but we're really focused on just a handful of brands today mm -hmm. so you know we when we look at what kinds of brands to launch we're very particular about being purposeful on mm -hmm. what we launch so we started as chicken um what we've recognized is as as businesses we need to be we need to be mindful of what we're selling to people and what's good for us and for the planet. So we're making a very big shift around plant-based food, right? So what we have is, I mean, we have, and 50% of all our brands have to be plant-based and then, the, and then uh, moving forward, most of it has to be plant-based. So we have a, we have chicken is obviously our flagship, but we have Mexican. So we have a, our head of food development is um, a Mexican who was the first Mexican to get a Michelin star in Europe. And he's a brilliant innovator. So we had to have Mexican and we saw that as a massive trend. Um, we also have a, a Michelin star Indian chef who's worked with some of the greatest restaurants in, in the UK. And so being of Indian heritage myself, um, I wanted to make sure that we represented that cuisine. And also I think that the UK is 
full of lots of Indian takeaways. It's the number one cuisine in the UK, but there are no national brands that people can say, besides, you know, the great brands like this room, there's no real national brands for the takeaway world. So Indian food um, as well, plant-based. So um, we have the, the obvious vegan burgers and chicken, but we are also looking at a, a, a vegan diner brand and very comfort food oriented brand. Um, as well. So we have multiple brands within K-Box um, that we focus on. Um, and I mean, I'm happy to talk about how we think about brands, but that that's kind of um, the staple. So it's the, the classics that people want to order, but also trying to be a little bit more innovative and put a twist on, on some of those brands. If we're talking about a, a future partnership, how do you match that kitchen with a brand? Say you've got a suite of 25. Where do you begin? Yeah, so so it, it's very data driven. So um, when we go into a hotel, for example, right, we are going to look at, remember our model is about your kitchen is already operating as a hotel kitchen. So I'm very, very aware that they're serving certain types of food and certain types of ingredients. So what we do, the first thing that we do is we look at the ingredients that they're currently using in their menus in-house, right? So that mm -hmm. you don't want over complexity. And then look at their kitchen um, I then look at their equipment and their labor capacity. So what kind of people are working in the kitchen, how many? And then I look at the data around the kitchen. So we look at the three kilometer radius of that kitchen. We say, okay, what is, um, what's the competition, right? Not only in terms of restaurants, but on the food delivery platform. So what's, what's out there already? And then we look at, well, what's, what's trending? So what are people actually going on, let's say Google and looking for, right? And that might not be able to, uh, they can't find. And then we look at the demographics, right? So, um, you know, are they professionals? What kind of people are living in there? So we get an understanding of what those kinds of people mm -hmm. um, like to order. And remember, because we're, everything that we're building our tech stack is around machine analytics, which is based around data. But effectively, it's, looking at and mining data. So we can create lookalike audiences and say, actually, we know based on your geographic area and the demographics that you have, in other areas that have similar demographics, this is what works and what doesn't. And we overlay that with, okay, per 5,000 residents, how many chicken restaurants are there? How many Indian restaurants are there? So mm -hmm. we can understand, well, this should do well because there's not enough of it. So it's a, it's a mix of two data sets really that we're doing, which is the external data and what's happening in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to move on to talk about the, the return on investment. I've, I've often asked a hotelier, for example, do you outsource your F&B or do you, do you um, operate this internally? I'd like to ask if we are going to outsource our F&B operations, what is that return on investment? And maybe we can weave in all your background with, with data. So it's really interesting. So we're not quite an outsource model, right? So we do work with the kitchens existing, so the hotel's existing labor in that kitchen and their existing equipment. So they're not saying here, take it over. We're coming in and licensing and training, right? So we have a very sophisticated way of training into that kitchen. So when we talk about ROI and coming from finance background, obviously I'm very very much focused on, on the numbers for a kitchen. We look at a number of factors, right? Which is, okay, we're adding at a very basic level, we're adding an incremental revenue stream, right? So we're adding a layer on top of what you already have. So there's an instant ROI, right? Because it's new revenue that you wouldn't have seen before. 
Um, but we break it down and say, okay, what is it that a normal hotel would have to see in terms of an EBITDA return? What's the margin that you would normally have? Now, hotels have very little understanding of what an EBITDA for a specific part of their hotel is because they're very rooms focused, right? So they don't allocate a rental cost, for example, to that kitchen. Mm. And so generally when you're looking at as an operator in the food service industry, if you're running between anywhere for casual, right? I'm not talking about high end. If you're running anywhere from a 10 to 20% EBITDA margin, you're doing pretty well, right? If you're doing 20, that's great operation. And so what we say is, okay, for every dollar of incremental revenue, if we can get you anywhere between 20 to 33% of an, a margin on that incremental revenue, are you happy? And generally they say, yes, that's great. Mm -hmm. And remember, it's because it's incremental because your labor cost is generally sunk. And if you have to add, if you're not adding any labor to do our brands, which you generally don't need to, um, um, but if you, uh, you're, you're gonna be hitting a, a 30, 33% return, right? On, on our incremental revenue. If you're having to add uh, more staff in like an extra person because we're doing so well, right? And so you were getting you a lot more revenue, then obviously um, that drops to about 23, 24%, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is still very good. Now, I, I, I want to add another thing because ROI has other factors, right? It's not just the straight EBITDA numbers on that revenue what we're finding is we're dropping their food costs because we're getting much more efficient because of the way that we operate and the way that our tech operates, mm -hmm. you have a side benefit, which means your food costs drop, right? right? The second benefit is, remember, we have a bunch of very high quality chefs, nutritionists, food scientists working on food innovation all day long and thinking about trends, thinking about how this works in other people's kitchens. And so what we're offering to, to hotels, which is a really fascinating thing, is we're becoming their food innovation arm. They're saying, well, why am I having to go and innovate all the time? Because you guys know what's on trend. You guys are constantly innovating. So actually I don't have to have that cost anymore. So we're taking that cost away from them as well. Um, and the other thing is we're upskilling their labor, right? Mm -hmm. So we are, as a result of our tech, we're giving them their labor at our cost, right? Because we don't charge training we're upskilling them and giving them new skills. And then what's really interesting, because hotels don't have this facility, we are performance managing through our technology, through our dashboards, KPIs, so key performance indicators that those kitchens have to hit. So we know through our technology and the instant feedback loop is how quick that food was out, right? So are they getting the food out in the right manner and how fast? What was the quality of that food, right? So we're looking at so many different indicators and we're able to food feedback not only to the staff in the kitchen but to the owners to say hey you can bet if they're hitting these kpis or they're missing them for food delivery they're definitely missing them or hitting them for your guest hotel guests so we're giving them a layer of extra support right through the technology which we don't charge for which is in my opinion adds to that EBITDA more adds to the ROI, right? So we're giving all these things that um, are not necessarily measurable. So I think the hotel owners are looking at that and saying, wow, that's an extra layer of, of, um, of quality control that we're not getting. And, and I like to move the conversation on to look at risk and liability. Um, where does that lie within a hotel partnership, um, say from your, with, with yourself at, at KBOX? Yeah, so I mean, I, I, you could look at this in two ways, right? So 
The interesting thing that a big brand um, likes about our model is when you send food out the kitchen, right? Mm -hmm. You, the second it leaves your kitchen, it's out of your hands because it's now in the hands of a delivery driver, right? Mm -hmm. um, so from their point of view, the fact that it's not Hilton's name on the box, right? On, mm -hmm. or on the customers receiving, it's actually one of our brands. So our brands are the ones that if that, that product arrived cold, right? Or something was wrong with it or a package was missing, they're gonna blame the brand and not the hotel, right? So that's one thing that they feel comfort in. It's that we, the, the brand that's getting attacked is, <laughs> is ours. And of course, that's why we have to put all these quality control things in place because at the end of the day, we have to protect our brand. Now, when you're talking about what happens in the kitchen and God forbid, you know, somebody puts a product in that isn't vegan and it, you know, you've got a vegan customer or there's an allergen issue. And by the way, our tech is so much around protecting against those things. So the kitchen knows immediately because our tech will bring it up and alert the kitchen. Um, but we don't control what happens in the kitchen. So I don't control that chef, right? I can train that chef and my technology can make sure that he is less likely to make a mistake. But any, anything, any issue that happens because of that kitchen is the hotel's liability, right? But the, the fact of the matter is they have to be able to control that cook for their on-premise guest as well as they have to control it. So there's two things that you have to look at, right? So from a brand point of view, it's us. Mm -hmm. And from a um, making sure that that kitchen is well run is, is the kitchen owner's responsibility at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Before I um, lead on to my final question, uh, Salima, I would like to pick you up on food trends. You've mentioned that mm. you've got a, a stellar team on board, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what food trends are you seeing in the market at the moment? Yeah, it's really interesting because if you asked me before COVID, it would have been slightly different. Um, so the very obvious trend, right, that we're all seeing and that we spotted about 18 months ago, which is why um, for me, it was a very personal interest to move that direction is plant-based is the future, right? So that you were seeing a lot of pickup on plant-based in areas of the country, right? That you would never have imagined. Mm. Um, so when you go into a market like Glasgow, the last thing you think is plant-based is going to work, but actually they do. And, and that's because the restaurateur is not going to think about opening those kinds of restaurants there. It's not the obvious thing. So plant-based is, is, is a really big thing. As a result of COVID, what we saw is breakfast become a big um, yeah. uh, delivery um, item because people are now at home. And so breakfast becomes an occasion. They're not rushing out the doors to have breakfast. They actually want to have um, a proper breakfast and we're seeing a pickup in, in kind of food delivery. I think what's become interesting because we've all been stuck at home and we haven't been able to travel. We've all been on social media, or at least our customers have. And so they're looking at TikTok and so they're looking at global chefs making global food. Mm. And so what you're seeing is an interest, a peak in interest. And I think London specifically has always been about international cuisine, but you're seeing it in the regions. So you're seeing a real interest in global cuisine because they can't travel, so they want to have it at home. Um, so social media is having a real pickup. Um, you're seeing the obvious that over COVID, you're seeing meal kits becoming big again, right? Mm -hmm. Meal kits were dying a miserable death before COVID. Um, and you're seeing that pickup as restaurants kind of started um, generating. Snacking is becoming really interesting as people are at home more, so they're snacking more. And so that's another meal occasion that we could take advantage of. So. So that, yeah, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of things, but I think that that that's what we're we're kind of seeing. Yeah. I can definitely throw my hands up and, and say cocktails I'm at home, by the way. 
okay, guilty of snacking and guilty of having cocktails at home. <laughs> I've definitely <laughs> been uh, indulging in both <laughs> quite a bit. And, and so let's now finish up, Salima, with some final thoughts um, regarding the future of what I might call delivery first models. How do you think that this is going to shape hotel operations and what advice would you give to a hotel owner who's perhaps sat on the fence with what they should do about their F&B department? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is don't let what happened, you know, with the OTs, what, whatever happened back then when they came in, like the tech companies came in and, you know, started charging massive fees and took over um, your booking systems, right? I think learn that you have these great assets, right? And actually you've got these kitchens, they're there to service your customer, but your customer and your guest now is more likely to order. And I always use this example to hotels, right? Why should I order a 20 pound club sandwich that takes 45 minutes to get to my room and isn't brilliant when I can go and order for half the price, let's face it, a really great takeaway from a great local restaurant um, and have it delivered in half the time to my room, um, why wouldn't I take that choice? So understanding if if you want to um, optimize for revenues, understand your customer, right? Your customer has so many other places to go and they will go for better options. And it's just in their mindset that delivery is better than hotel food, right? It might not be true, but that's what they think because it's on trend, you know, it's something that they're used to. It's a way of life for them, honestly, that it's the, the, the um, it's become a verb right now. Let's deliver um, <laughs> or let's Uber, right? So um, I think, think that, and then, imagine the kind of data that you can collect about your customer because what they're eating speaks a lot about what they do in other aspects of their life right so if you can keep that data in-house right back to the data if and kbox does this right which says this customer that's sitting your guest loves this food and by the way every time they come this is what they eat which pretty much means that this is the kind of lifestyle they have and so when they arrive at the hotel reception you can actually speak to them as if you know them. And by the way, in the restaurant industry, that's what we've been very good at, right? We've been Mm. collecting data. We understand when a guest comes in the room, we know if they've been there before or what they like. And so we give them that level of comfort, which is why they're coming back. You as hoteliers should get to that point, right? Where you know, and food tells you a lot about a customer, you know, and it starts with, so it can start with food, but it should be in every aspect of what you do. Don't lose that customer to an outside restaurant or to an outside delivery platform. Keep it in-house, right? Mm-hmm. Keep, keep that guest in-house. And by having a system like this in your hotel, you're offering them fantastic delivery food, which is offered to everybody outside the hotel, but to them as well. And by the way, I'll get to them in five minutes or 10 minutes, not 20 minutes. Um, so, so, you know, it's not a risk because what, what, we're, what the beauty of the model is, is there is no upfront cost, right? The only downside risk is we're just gonna upskill your staff, right? That's the downside risk to you. Um, We're giving you an additional revenue stream. We're giving you very easy to use technology, right? That we as operators have built so that we know it works for for us, right? Mm -hmm. So we've built it for you. Um, And uh, and we're, we're there to enhance your capability, not to add any risk into it. So, this is what we do all day long. We could not, we could not offer a, a great 
hotel service for, from, from point of rooms, but we live and breathe food, innovation, trends, technology, systems. So um, by, by partnering with us, and it's not handing over your, your kitchen, it's by partnering with us, we're just enhancing what you do and, and making you better at it, giving you more revenue and letting you understand your customer better. So um, I, think, I think people just in the hotel space need to get more savvy and understand that. And by the way, if you don't do it, somebody else down the road will do it. Thanks so much for your time and insight, Salima. That's all for today and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to the Boutique Hotel News podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with industry news, head on over to boutiquehotelnews.com and sign up to our twice weekly newsletter.